Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, and welcome to Academy Rewind, the fortnightly podcast where we take a look at the Oscars from years past. I'm Tim, and with me, as always, is my man who loves films about the 1920s. It's Palmer. How are you today? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, Palmer. I'm... I can't wait to talk about these movies from the 1920s. Yes, all of them are from the 1920s, um, except none of them are from the 1920s. They're from 2002 for the 2003 Academy Awards. They are as follows. The Hours. I was lied to. Oh, I know. I'm sorry. One of them takes place in the 20s, if that makes you feel better. Um, just one of them. Yeah, actually, one and a quarter of them takes place in the <laughs> 1920s. Uh, they are as follows. The Hours, Chicago, Gangs of New York, The Pianist, and The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Palmer, what won Best Picture this year? Chicago. Chicago, indeed, won Best Picture. <laughs> Chicago. Um one best picture, so we'll do that one last. We Yay. are going to start with the one that you probably disliked the most, but it it really could be a toss-up. It's hard to tell with you. Um, I, I don't know. I think it's pretty – it's a pretty easy bet to what I dislike the most. Yeah, so I want to start with The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, because I would assume uh, that's the one that you, you – sir, are correct. Yes, I thought as, <laughs> I thought as much. Uh, directed by Peter Jackson, written by Fran Walsh, Philip Boyan, Stephen Sinclair, and Peter Jackson, based on the novel by J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, starring Elijah Wood, Egan McKellen, and Viggo Mortensen, um, and, and, and a host of many others. But uh, it's a big cast, so we're going to move on. Nominated for Best Picture, Production Design, Sound, and Film Editing. This movie won Sound, um, a film, and this movie, what, what is, um, was nominated for Picture, Production Design, Sound, Mixing, and Film Editing. This movie won Sound Editing and Visual Effects. Mm-hmm. Um, which mm-hmm. usually gets skated over, actually. A lot of people usually talk about how, like, Return of the King kind of swept uh, the Oscars in well, that's because Return of the King did. It, well, it did, but usually we talk about it in the way that, like, oh, like the other movies didn't win anything because they waited for Return of the King. But that's not true. It, every every single Lord of the Rings film has won an Academy, at least one Academy Award. Yeah, I believe the first two might have both won the same awards. Uh, the first one, uh, Fellowship of the Ring, also won Best Music. So uh, I don't know what the other ones – I know Ian McKellen was nominated for Supporting Actor. Ian McKellen was nominated, but he didn't win. That was the only time – An actor was nominated. Wasn't Viggo Mortensen? He was not nominated. nominated? No, I don't think Uh, so. I thought he was nominated on the first movie. I don't think so. I could be wrong, but – Yeah, but I mean all of like the important awards that it won, it won for – Return of the King. Return of the King. Yeah, um, and many that that are listed here, but it still did win. Um, it still yeah. each film did win its own award. So anyway, um, this movie is the sequel to Lord of the Rings: The Fellowship of the Ring, in which uh, Frodo and Sam edge closer to Mordor with the help of Gollum. The divided fellowship makes a stand against Sauron's new ally Saruman and his hordes of Isengard. Uh, or a better way to look at it, it is a prequel of the movie we reviewed last season. There you go. <laughs> <What's>... <laughs> oh, when you go in reverse, kind of, it's like this weird, like, yep. yeah. Next season, we have the prequel to this. Yeah. Wow, that's so 
it's I can't believe you're watching them backwards like this, uh, you know, because you you hadn't seen them all before. Right. Or you'd seen parts of some of them in different orders. I can't remember. No, I it's well, I went to the theater to watch them all 20 years ago. Yeah, I fell asleep during them. You fell asleep? Um, Yes. Yes. And then never really watched them again because I was like, oh, God, this is boring. Well, they are not for everybody. You know, I've said that to you. I've said that to you many times. You know, there are many people in the world find them wonderful as as I am one of those people. They're Um, wrong. But no, no, they're not. Um, They are not. As Tolstoy would say when he wrote about aesthetics, there is a a difference between um, populist art and art that is um, an art that has um, some kind of levity to it, otherwise known as high art. Um, But if it is what he says, if it is popular and it, it's and it's not just you that finds it great but a lot of people society that also finds it great then it's probably higher art um and why not listen to tolstoy you know you know what toy story you know what tolstoy also said that um toy story tolstoy toy story is really hard to say uh no hi i'm tolstoy i'm dead because you know, <laughs> he's no longer alive so let's stop listening to it Okay. Oh, also, Lord. this is the guy that gave us War and Peace, which you could literally kill a person if you throw that book at I them. I know. That's the irony. <laughs> if you hit them with the back of the book, it's peace. It's a war it's part. No... <laughs> um, anyway, um, I personally, as a as a huge Lord of the Rings, as a huge Lord of the Rings fan, uh, Two Towers is my least favorite of the the three of the three that? films. Yeah. Um, I mean, I like all the characters, but I think it does. It is the middle act of a, of a of one long story. Lord of the Rings is only split into three individual parts because the publisher of the original books thought that the first book was too large, and like and for se- well for sellability purposes, smaller you can put more books on a shelf if they're smaller. Mm-hmm. And so, um, as as a proprietor of of um, books yourself, you would you you know you would know this, um, or really of anything. Of anything, so you the know, smaller the, something is the smaller something you could put more of it on the shelf. Like a, a, a shorter movie, you can show more times a day in the right. theater, uh, and so um, so they requested that the book be split into three parts so they could basically sell more copies. Um, you know what I find funny about this is the idea of this book is too large. You could get more copies on the shelf. If you chop it up into three books, but then you would put the books next to each other and they would end up being the same size, although maybe a little bit longer because of the front and back cover. Yes, I agree. I know. But in first selling it, right? I, I no, guess I, I guess yeah, you yeah. sell more. But I mean, you could sell one copy of the book for 10 bucks, let's say. 14 bucks or you could sell three copies uh, like of or you could sell one copy of each part of the book for 10 bucks each so even though it takes up more room you're still probably making more money at the at the end of the day it's funny because you said this is your least favorite and i agree with you like it is my least favorite but another person um, i know who also loves the lord of the rings stuff when I told them I was watching this for the podcast, they also said it was their least favorite. 
Interesting. I know many people who think that this like who think this is their favorite. Like in like now, there are parts that I really like. It's the introduction of Gollum, mm-hmm. um, and who, I, whom you I find a very Gollum. sympathetic you know character. You know what? So maybe this isn't my least favorite. I think the first one might be my least favorite because it's completely sans Gollum. Uh, there's very, very, very oh, little Gollum yeah, in the first one. It's a teaser one. at the very end. Yeah, um, um, kind of. Yeah, and yeah. the beginning and the end, but you never see him fully fleshed right. uh, like we do. So here. this one, this one has a lot of Gollum, but try as he might, not even Gollum can really save this movie. And this kind of there's the there's the ongoing theme in like trilogies where you have like in Star Wars you have Empire Strikes Back, which is the the darkest one. You know, the Empire wins the the rebellion kind of suffers a great defeat and then they come back raw in the third one. This has that same sort of formula, but when it's stretched out over like a three hour movie, there's not a lot that happens in this movie. You have, you have um, Gandalf coming back, totally negating his sacrifice in the first part of the, in the first movie and now acting weirder i don't know he's like i'm i'm gandalf the white now because see i wear white robes yeah he i mean the movie doesn't i mean the movie doesn't explain like uh what the wizards are or anything like that he, he he's, basi- he's basically an angel he's like he got upgraded from angel to archangel if that like is a, a way to think if that's a way to think about it um the colors have status, and so because Sauron has abandoned the Wizarding Order to join Sauron, like Gandalf gets an upgrade, he gets promoted. Um, but he doesn't really sacrifice himself Saruman in Fellowship still of the Wing. Considered Saruman the White. Say again. Saruman still considered Saruman the White. He's considered Saruman. He's not really considered the. That's why when Treebeard takes Merry and Pippin, he's like the White Wizard. Will know he he takes them to Gandalf. He doesn't take them to Sauron. Yeah. You know, that's also they they are the worst parts of this movie. Merry and Pippin? No, Treebeard. Oh, you don't like Treebeard. Why? Uh, well, I don't like any of the was it Ents or yeah. Like, yeah. Because it's a joke that really overstays its welcome really fast. Oh, the slow talking. Um, yeah. Um it does a bit. John Rice Davies who plays Gimli also does the voice of Treebeard. And he does a good voice. I'm not I'm just saying, like, the way they the, – the joke of, you know, he talks slow. take a long time to do anything. So this guy talks really, really slow. Like, you, he talks normally. You chop 20 minutes out of this movie. <laughs> I think it might – I think it would be grating if you're ready for the movie. Like, if you want the movie to move faster, um, certainly I, I, can under, I can understand that point. Uh, I do think that he still looks very good for a movie that came out um, – 20 years ago. Weta does an amazing job on on um, special effects. Mm-hmm. They are one of the best since ILM. I agree. Like, since when George Lucas was – George Lucas founded ILM and ILM was on top of their game. I was actually – it was funny. I was talking to somebody recently about a movie and how the special effects were a little, a little lacking, especially for a movie in 2020. And I was like, you know, I give Disney a lot of a lot of guff for this sort of thing all the time. But I'm noticing it more in other movies like special effects houses are not what they used to be. 
Um, and I don't know if if people just like is Weta just not doing too much anymore or no, they're still doing a lot. But I think what happens now, instead of saying like, Oh, Weta did the, the work on like, so like Weta did like the work on Lord of the Rings, but in, yeah. but now you have visual effects farmed out to a lot of different companies. So like ILM does some Weta does some, and then they trickle down into smaller and smaller companies because there's the, the, the sheer volume of effects that so many movies have. And I yeah. just think that the processing time isn't there that, or that like what's needed to be there. And so, um, I think that part of it is that we're noticing it more. Like we, we have an eye for it in a way that, um, we didn't before, um, and now that there's more and more of them, we're seeing more of the lag than we than we used to. We I think we were more forgiving of it because it was literally it was special, like it's a special effect, right. and now it's just an effect. Um, yeah. And so why, that's why when we notice like good puppetry or something like that, we're like, wow, that's amazing! Look at that; it's so tactile, <laughs> it's so real. Yeah. Um, but I think to go back to Lord of the Rings, I think that there's a nice blend of. There's a nice blend of practical and CG in the films. Lord of the Rings, like, a lot of what we get in really big movies comes from Lord of the Rings. That You know, it, they created the program Massive for it, which is the um, independent thinking AI for big battle sequences. So instead of getting 1,000 extras, you can have 10,000 people on the battlefield, and they're all thinking and doing the same thing. And they would run simulations and be like, I... Like, we don't actually know how the battle's going to turn out because the computer is the one thinking and doing the yeah. math. That's That stuff is really cool. Oh, crap. The wrong people won. I, th that has happened. That literally happened where they'll be like, <laughs> oh, crap. The orcs won Helm's Deep. We got to run this. We have to run this again. <laughs> Kendoff yeah, didn't so show up when he said he was going to. <laughs> so, yeah, like, I, I will give a lot of guff to Lord of the Rings. And mainly I'll give the guff to, I think, the story – could be condensed. I I don't see the reason. Like I understand the reason for it to be three movies. It's financial more than anything. Well, and it, it is. It's a giant. It's and a it's, giant story. And it's three books. Technically, that it is one book, like originally. But like you go to like if you bought the books, you go and you buy Fellowship of the no, Ring, you and, buy Two Towers, and, like and you I buy said, Return of the King. I, I I do understand that to an extent, but I think there's enough in each book that you could trim out. And maybe just make like one three and a half hour movie. When when the um, uh, when they were trying to sell Lord of the Rings back in the nineties to make it, yeah. it was going to be two movies because they thought three would be a harder sell. Two, I think I could get behind. Yeah, um, I think there's there's definitely there's definitely fat to trim if you want just the bare bones of the story. But I think what endear them to so many people is that they're they are in fact not trim at all and there's tons of stuff cut out from the books like which is which is crazy right. that you can appease a mass audience the academy awards and the fans of the books pretty much all at the same time um that's oh. that's very that's very rare and admirable um yeah but you're right. I mean, the majority of the movie really is a bat is a giant battle sequence. Like Helm's Deep is, and that's not uh, till the very end. Like it's, it's a not. three hour movie, and that takes up say forty five minutes. Yeah. Um. Uh. 
yeah, it's about forty five. It's about forty five minutes, maybe maybe a clean, maybe almost a clean hour of of the film. But yeah. you also have a lot of characters, and you introduce new characters, and you know, like so, you know, like we didn't yeah. have Theoden <laughs> before, and now we do. Yeah, which was another thing. I'm like, we have enough characters. We don't need any more. Yeah. Like, uh, Lord of the Rings is one of those movies where, like, you could show me a list of characters. And if it's not really the two main hobbits, Gollum. Um, Gandalf. Gandalf. Viggo Mortensen. And Legolas. I probably couldn't tell you. I would probably know Gimli. Yep. But outside of like that core group that's in, say, all three movies, I don't I I would be able to remember Mary and Pippin, but I wouldn't be able to tell you which one's which. Sure. Um, but other than that, I couldn't tell you any of these people. Here's a question for you that I think I know the answer to, but the audience might like, do you like fantasy? Or do you like where do you fall on just general fantasy? I like it. Um, like, I really like the movie uh, Dragonheart, First Night. Mm-hmm. I, I did like Game of Thrones. Here's the thing with Lord of the Rings. I think Lord of the Rings works well two ways. One, episodic TV, because then I'm willing to give an episode or two episodes or three episodes of characters and development and backstory or a two-part movie because when I think of Lord of the Rings, there's, or when I think of fantasy of that length, I think of action movies, popcorn movies. Mm -hmm. And this doesn't give you enough action beats to satisfy that urge. Like there's that whole thing where Kevin Smith talks about writing Superman and the guy's telling him, you need an action beat like every 10 pages. 10 pages, yeah. And Lord of the Rings doesn't give you that. No, I think I think that well, Lord of the Rings itself is not really classified as action. It's a it's a fantasy drama that has action in it. And sometimes like fantasy itself gets classified like, oh, it's got swords and dragons, so therefore it must be an action piece. Um just kind of like um I would say like, oh, this movie takes place during World War II, so it must be historical fiction or it must be a drama um, right. where you can have you can have other genres within the genre. You can have a subgenre within the genre. You can. And I think that um, that's what I think also... why the Academy maybe likes it so much in its own way, because yeah. it Lord of the Rings, especially the book itself, is not like not like if you think that the books are act i mean if you think the movies don't have action like don't read the book oh yeah i when the when the movies were coming out i talked to somebody and i think i might have said this last year or last season i talked to someone and i'm like you know what i i think i want to i wasn't too keen on the movies but i was like maybe i want to try reading it and my friend was like he loved it and he was like don't they are the most boring books imaginable He's like, there's chapters on how Mordor is completely desolate. And I'm like, okay, gonna gonna pass on this. But as far as Lord of the Rings being like a drama slash fantasy, that's fine. But it's also a movie whose like entire thing is there's gonna be this giant war between, you know, everybody and Saruman and Sauron. So that kind of gives me like it should also have action. 
So. Sure. I mean, I mean, there are battle sequences in every film. I mean, like we said, 45 minutes to an hour of this movie is one giant right, battle which is, sequence. Which is great. but you have With to battle sequences within hours. the first and second acts as well. Um, yeah. And there's... I, and half of the movie, half of Return of the King has is is battles as well. And uh, that is half of the movie of Return of the King is battles. The other half is endings. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I I commend you for watching a three hour movie for something I know you don't really enjoy. And I think you're in a way you're right that it probably would be served better as a television show. So I wonder if maybe you will try the Amazon Prime show that's coming out. Oh, I, I don't know if I would rush to it, but I will get around to it. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, yeah. um, I could talk about Lord of the Rings all day, but we have other movies I know to talk you about. You so have an give entire me podcast devoted to it. Yes, indeed. Tolkien TV talk, which uh, which we have not recorded an episode in like two years. But you know, what are you going to do? Um, what yeah. am I going to do? I don't know. All right, let uh, let me get my notes app up, and we're doing Lord of the Rings. Yeah, actually, the first one they did. Uh, nope, nope. Okay. About 200 to 300 horses were used in the trilogy because most of the scenes involving horses are intense battle scenes where the horses could likely be harmed. A horse and a rider were fitted with the same type of suit that Andy Serkis wore for this role and were filmed in the studio doing typical battle things like galloping and rearing up so footage could be inserted digitally into the battle scenes in the way no horses were hurt. That's great. That's great. Viggo Morrison actually adopted his horse uh, yes, from that these was, films. Yeah, that was one of the ones I saw, and I was like, "Yeah, it's, it's a nice story, but nah. it is that it just passed away just a couple months ago, actually." Uh-huh. So of COVID, of just being old, I think. Okay, as the orcs have black blood, it was only natural that the inside of their mouths should not be pink, but black as well. To achieve this, the orc actors had to swill a licorice-based mouthwash prior to each of their scenes. Wow. Good thing it was licorice, but that's some good forward. Yeah, but it's black. That's some forward thinking on the like makeup and costume design, right? Or creature design, where you're like, okay, well, it's black blood, so the the inside of the mouth would be have to be black or some dark color. That's some nice forward thinking. I will never, I will never shortchange Lord of the Rings on on visual effects, makeup, or like production design no never yeah that's i mean that's really the eye candy right away the um um the they actually used they did black blood because um peter jackson wanted to keep them pg-13 but he's kind of a horror gore not himself but he so he wanted the gore so he's like oh let's just make the goblins blood black because then i because then it will cover it will get past the censors yeah and i i even if I mention this, I will mention this every time we do a Peter Jackson movie. If you like Peter Jackson, when you know he's a horror aficionado, watch The Frighteners. The Frighteners. Great so fun. Movie. So yeah. fun. Uh, when Gollum eats a raw fish, it's actually Andy Circus chewing on a fish-shaped lollipop. Really? Yeah. That's fun. It's just a giant Swedish fish is what it is. Oh, I am, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Hey, good stuff. Those were those yeah. are some good fun. Fa- those are those are uh, those were good fun facts. You don't hear a lot about um, those. You always, you know, the water was really cold when Andy Circus was like, be- <laughs> you know, things like that. Those are the ones that we hear about. So yeah, there was the there was the typical one of um, 
Viggo Mortensen breaking his toes. I'm so and I was glad like, that you didn't choose that one. <laughs> well, it was funny. I was like, I refuse to put that in because Tim is probably going to mention it. Oh, no. I, I purposely stayed away from it because oh, the sheer amount of memes that exist with like, you know, like, okay, we can watch Lord of the Rings, but don't tell me any facts. And then it's like the picture of like <laughs> someone like biting their thumb like or their fingers like when he's kicking the helmet. Oh, it's nice. so good. When my wife and I watched this movie, like that moment happened, and we both turned to one another and we're like, Vico broke his toe. <laughs> and your cat just rolled his eyes. He did. Well, I mean, what else is new? He's a cat. Uh, anyway, let's talk about the movie that I think you might uh, have things to say about next. This is The Pianist, directed by Roman Polanski, written by Ronald uh, Harewood, based upon the book by Wadislaw Spilsman. Check that out. First time. <laughs> yeah, did it. Uh, starring Adrian Brody, Thomas Ketchman, and Frank Finlay. Nominated for picture, cinematography, costume design, and film editing. This movie won Best Actor for Brody, uh, Best Director for Polanski, and Adapted Screenplay. It is the true story of a Polish-Jewish musician struggling to survive the de destruction of the Warsaw Ghetto of World War II. i never seen this film before. Um, I saw it back when it first came out. Okay. Yeah. I had wanted to see it. Uh, I like World War II films. The only thing I ever really attached to it was that um, Adrian Brody full on oh, kissed Halle yeah. Berry on the lips at the Academy Award ceremony, which was not cool. And nope, uh, it was directed was, by Roman that, Polanski, who was also awkward. not cool. Um, yeah. So, and so I, that was in the back of my mind almost the whole time. And I'm a pretty big believer in separating the art from the artist uh, as much as you, as much as you can. Um, right. But I think that maybe there's a difference between awarding somebody stuff versus um, uh, like allowing them to make stuff. I think those are two different things. And so a a as the movie goes, I thought it was good. It was I thought I thought Adrian Brody did a very nice I thought he did a very good job. Very moving. He's by himself a good chunk of the film. And so um, and so to like, kind of watch the like, ah, oh, no, it's fine. We can stay all the way to the very end of the war. Just to, like we rarely see the effects of World War One starting from the beginning to the end on one family or one person. And I appreciated like the small scope of the film. Mm hmm. Um, production design was great to to right. see Warsaw where it is and where like where it started and how it ended up, all that stuff. I thought was I I thought it was very good. And Adrian Brody, I believe, played a good chunk of the music himself. Um, he did learn piano for this. Yeah. So um, and I appreciate that that level of dedication. Uh, so yeah, I I enjoyed it more than I enjoyed it more than I thought. A little long, could have been shorter. Uh, yeah, because it comes in at about two and a half hours. Yeah, I think it's 2.45 and, even. Yeah, and it does get to a little bit of a point where you're like, all right, I'm kind of ready for this to be over. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, I will I will disagree with you on one point before I get into whether or not I like this movie. Is You said that you can kind of separate or you think there's a separation between allowing him to make the movie and then awarding him for it where I would argue that if he didn't get so many awards and accolades, he wouldn't still be able to make movies. 
that maybe that's so yeah. It can okay. be a, I think it can be a correlation. That being said, um, that being said, you know he he has talent. Whether or not he should still be making movies is is not is up for debate. Oh I no, Plans, Plansky's very talented. Yeah, you know he is he is extremely talented. This movie looks great. Um, it is a very it is a very um, personal subject to him. Yeah, you're. Um, why? Why are you pointing? Down? I'm just telling tell everybody. Could you fix your microphone a little bit in your mouth because you're going in and out a little bit and it's driving me crazy. Better. That is better. Okay. Yeah. Keep talking. Um. So where was I going? Oh, so it's a very personal film to him because uh, he he went through the the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there is that. I think Adrian Brody does good. I don't particularly love Adrian Brody in a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I think he does fine in this movie. I don't know if I would have given him the Academy Award for Best Actor over the other people nominated. Uh, we'll find that out with the Rewindies. I do like that he learned to play piano. I do really enjoy the music in this. The original pieces and the Chopin. There's a lot of times when you think of piano playing pieces, you think mm-hmm. of Mozart and Beethoven, and it's very like angry and like very, for lack of a better term, bassy. Sure. Yeah, I, um, I know what you mean. Very heavy. Yeah. And like this has a lot of light piano playing mm-hmm. parts, which I really enjoy because. It's you don't hear it as often in like concert pianist. Mm-hmm. It so, doesn't the the um the flashbang of the of the maybe more showy classical right. pieces. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think and I, I think the music it, uh, fits the mood, which is which always makes you know which always mm-hmm. makes a difference when when the film when it's diegetic music, right? When it's part of the film and the characters hear it right. as well as the audience. Yeah, and I think I texted you when I was watching it. I was like, man, you know, the like Holocaust movies are one of the only genres that that like make me really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I can watch a horror movie. I can watch the torture porn genre of horror and a lot of like based on a true story or real life things. And I will never get as uncomfortable as I will watching a movie about the Holocaust because it's just most of the time, like the violence is over exaggerated and it just never is in a Holocaust movie. Like all of these things are based on accounts of what happened to people. And the fact that anybody could do that to another human being based solely on their religion or status of, you know, if you do it because they're poor or anything is just absolutely mind boggling to me Mm -hmm. and i yeah you know you can't i don't think you can and i've done this i've said this before because i i said i said it jokingly in our text thread but i've said this before like i don't think you can do a light-hearted holocaust movie i wish you could because 
it's such an important subject matter that I think at times people don't watch because it can be so incredibly emotional and heavy. And then you have something like Life is Beautiful, which I dislike because it was tried to be light during a Holocaust movie. And I'm like, no, it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. The um, two things that Mel Brooks said that he would never make fun of was the Holocaust and dead children. Those were his those were his stopping grounds and everything. Everything else was fair game. And if you think about everything else in the and world, he makes fun of Hitler a lot, a lot. Right. It has. It's, he didn't say you could make fun of World itself. War Two. You can't right. make fun of the Holocaust. Right. And then, in it, fact, he said, like, one of his things, one of his, like, crowning achievements is making fun of Hitler. That's right. Like, he loves doing that, which he should. But, yeah, he never touched, like, the actual Holocaust part. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, and that speaks like, to the, like, how many things are really in the world that we probably shouldn't make fun of that we we, 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 we do make fun of. But, like, but he won't. Um, but but he, he wouldn't touch the Holocaust. And I, I think that you, you raised a great point that, like, you said the torture porn or horror or any of these things that are like really like gruesome and terrible and awful you just know in the front of your mind not even the back of your mind the front of your mind this isn't real but you mm-hmm. want something like the pianist or schindler's list or or any of these films and you go this is real this this yeah. happened this awful 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 thing and that's what i really liked about this movie is that it doesn't exaggerate it just right. shows you and you know, um, I, one of the most stirring pieces of the movie was the where they were making um, the soldiers were making the um, the people dance. Um, you mm-hmm. know what I'm talking about? Yep. Um, yeah. I just thought that was just that is going to sit. That scene will sit with me for a long time. Right. Um, well, it was funny you say that. You know, it's based on, you know this actually happened. I think there's also the thing of like, if you watch a movie about say a mass murderer, like a, a true story about a mass murderer or somebody who tortured somebody, most of the time in those movies, yeah, it can get a little uncomfortable, but you know, at the end, this person got caught, this mm-hmm. person paid for their crimes. And a lot of the, a lot of the Nazis did it. Right. So th- like there's, there's also that. I think my my the one that really stuck out to me was when they just like randomly pulled out people out of a line and shot them just because mm-hmm. yep. like they weren't trying to prove they weren't saying like you guys have to work faster. Or this is going to happen to you or don't talk back to us. It was just take these five out of line and shot them in the head. Yeah, that was it. I, what I found most interesting about the the movie, I think, was the beginning, that first act when they were like getting ready to leave, and then and then Britain and France declared war on Germany, and they were like, "Oh, that's fine, we'll be okay. It's like we'll be okay. We can stay." And I just no leave, no leave, no get out, go anywhere, go to Switzerland in the back. All you ever heard was yodeling, you know, like go anywhere. And Find the Von Trapps. Right. Something. Go to Vermont like the Von Trapps. Go somewhere. Um, and that's what I um, – that that also really stuck to me because, like, we, we're so bad as a human race, as people accepting change and seeing the writing on the wall. And it, we are awful at understanding, like, the insurmountable 
problems we are facing or about to face. And only afterwards do we go, oh, we probably should have done something like that. And there are always people that are like, uh, yeah, hello, I told you. But we're yeah. so ready to believe that everything will be okay. That And sometimes it just won't be okay. And I, I think the movie gets that across um, really well at the beginning. Yep. At the beginning. Uh, give me some fun facts on The Pianist. Okay. Notice how director of photography Powell Edelman slowly drains the color out of all the scenes as the film progresses to signify the deterioration of the city and Spielman himself. Um, I did not notice that, but that's very cool. I wish I knew that ahead of time so I could have noticed it. This is the first film ever to receive the Best Film Award at the Caesars Film Festival with not a single word of French spoken in it. The Caesars are the French National Film Award. Oh, nice. Yep. This is the first film ever to receive the Best Film Award. Hmm. Did you do two fun facts that were the same? Apparently so. Okay. Do you remember one off the top of your head? Uh, yes, Adrian Brody learned to play piano for this role. Wow. I know I already said it, but <laughs> there it is. There it is. <laughs> um, actually, another one would be because uh, they did filming in Warsaw, or at the very least, they did location scouting in Warsaw. And um, Polanski uh, met somebody or ran into somebody who helped his family uh, during the Holocaust. Whoa. Or, yeah. That's crazy. That That is crazy. All right. Well, good times had by all while watching The Pianist. Moving on to Gangs of New York. Directed by Martin Scorsese, written by Jay Cox, Stephen Zalen, and Kenneth Longerin. Lonergan. There you go. Um, written, uh, no, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Cameron Diaz, Daniel Day-Lewis, and a host of other people. Um, limited, but not including to John C. Riley, who will be in two more of the movies for the Academy Awards. <laughs> the John C. Riley Assance was the two thousand was 2002 films, apparently. It was the early 2000s, yeah. Yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah. Because um, I watched Chicago, and I was like, hey, John C. Riley," And then I watched The Hours, and I was like, hey, John C. Riley," And then I watched Gangs of New York, and I was like, hey, what is happening? <laughs> like, <laughs> And then you watch Lord of the Rings, and you're like, wait, you weren't in this movie. Get out of here, John C. Riley. Um, anyway, also a host of other people, limited but not including Liam Neeson and Brendan Gleeson and John C. Riley uh, in Gangs of New York. Uh, nominated for Best Picture, actor for Daniel Day-Lewis, director, original screenplay, cinematography, production design, costume design, editing, sound, original song. This movie won nothing. Zero oh, yeah, awards. Because it's, it's you 2 I'm like, really? The Hands That Built America was nominated for Best Original Song? Yeah, U2. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, it was. Uh, story, it takes place in 1862, in which a man named Amsterdam Vallon returns to a Five Points area of New York City seeking revenge against Bill the Butcher, his father's killer. Um, uh, I had seen this movie once before, um, probably about the time that it came out, maybe a little bit afterwards, and I had never seen it since because I didn't really care for it when I saw it, and I was like, ooh, will I like it now? What a fun test this is. Like, was I too young for this movie? It turns out I didn't like it then and I don't like it now. Okay. I um, I think some of it is very clever. I like the um, 
tribal brutalism of the gangs in 1862. It's almost, it's kind of almost like they're Neanderthals or, or cavemen or early man. And there's these warring clans or even like weirdly like Scottish clans or something like that, that are, that are up against one another. I like Which all existed at that time. Yes, of course. Uh, yes. History. Um, and, um, so I, I liked that. I liked that angle. So I liked the brutal nature of it, uh, in its own way. I liked the commentary on the film, like American born versus immigrants. And, you know, it's, uh, we all, you know, I think that was good social commentary that is still applicable today. I very much enjoyed that. I just think it was kind of weird. It was oddly filmed the opening fight scene between the two gangs between the American born and the Irish um, was just horribly, horribly choreographed. Like you could see people waiting their turn, like people weren't connecting fists or, or weapons or any, it was just like, it was not good. And it threw me off if kind of for the rest of the movie, basically until I would say maybe two hours and something into the film where I was like, okay, now we're really getting to the good stuff. Right. And, and then the movie kind of fizzled and ended. But I like what the whole thing was about. I, I, I liked it was, you know, the don't don't join up Civil War thing, you know, but like but the hypocrisy of the American borns like we're American, but like don't join the don't fight the civil in the Civil War. Um, it, like a lot of that was good. But I was also very distracted by Leonardo DiCaprio's Irish accent. Um, <laughs> and uh, I was very distracted by why Cameron Diaz was in this movie, though I think she was pretty good. Um, she I was. was also directed. I was also I was also distracted by her uh, Irish accent. Um, I every time Brendan Gleeson showed up, I went, hey, the only person who has an authentic accent in this movie. <laughs> Hooray. He did it. Everyone. Yay. Yay. Um, and I, I liked Day Lewis's Bill the Butcher. He, I, I found him an interesting character. I like these vile people who are also people with a code of honor, even if they are screwed up. <laughs> um, yep. I, I liked that angle, and I liked DiCaprio like endearing himself to Bill and Bill liking him in this weird adoptive father son relationship that I think could have gone further than it did. Um, which is weird to say in like a two plus hour movie. I know, which is part of the problem. I think that it like it goes nowhere and everywhere really fast and really slow, and it's odd that way. Uh, but I like the design. The set is amazing. The you know the um, the the five corners is an awesome awesome set, and uh, I Bill the Butcher's look. His whole costume is so cool. I loved the fake eye with the eagle um, instead of the pupil and stuff like that. All that's cool, but I just couldn't – it makes it sound like I really like it, but I just couldn't connect with it the way right. that – it just didn't jive together the way yeah. that I, it should have. Okay. Um, it's interesting because – so I really liked the movie when it first came out. I still like the movie, although I will give you that that – I didn't remember that first battle sequence being that bad. Like I didn't remember like the really like zoomed in and like the really like manic looking, like, like stupid shots mm -hmm. of that. He, he so was, he was trying something and it, it didn't work. It I just mean, didn't I work. Always right. gives Scorsese 
credit for trying something different because he does yeah. push himself and sometimes yeah. it, like he does he does sometimes but then at the end of the day you fall back on it and you're like this movie was about gangs because yeah. that's a, he was a monster um, movie which is what I, you always make i will say i if you put this next to the departed you have essentially the same movie oh totally totally leonardo dicaprio's character Dead father. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill the butcher takes him in. Yep. Father figure. Father figure. And Leonardo DiCaprio is only there to take him down. Yep. yep. It is the same movie as The Departed without Boston accents, which I love. Yes. I, though, I mean, <laughs> though, um, uh, Bill, I, Daniel Day Lewis was doing an accent. I don't know what it was, but it was an accent. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think it was. I'm trying to be American, yeah. but we're like in his mind, he was like, "I'm gonna be American because we're born in America, but we're not so far divorced from being British that I'm gonna have a muddled Brit Brit American accent." It was something, all right. It was like the transition mm-hmm. between like British and Brooklyn accent, and it, yeah. it just wasn't. Yeah, it's like a hard – it's a hard Brooklyn accent that has, I guess, it has a legitimate place in that time frame You know that I saw. Yeah, knowing Daniel um, Day-Lewis, that accent was yeah. authentic, yeah. 100%. He did his research. I didn't think about this until until you were telling me your your viewpoint of the movie. He is playing the exact opposite but yet. Very similar character from Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln. Nope, exactly. I had that exact. He's got like the mutton chops. He's got the tall hat. He's got the. He's got the lanky look. Like, well, he he is tall and lanky. Yeah, he he's tall, but I never really see him as lanky. And just the way he moves and his legs look in this entire movie, like it makes it look like he's on stilts. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how he really did that, but I give him all the credit in the world. Because yeah, short you could be pants. tall and still not look that. Yeah, yeah, short plaid pants. I think that that is your answer. But you're right though; it is this charismatic, charismatic leader within under. the same time period, played by yep. the same guy. So weird that ten years later we watch him play literally his antithesis, the same person. Yeah, yeah. I so so yeah. odd. Um, uh, but he is great in it. Uh, DiCaprio's fine. I think Cameron Diaz does a good job. But you're right. She doesn't really need to be in this movie. She felt like a studio mandate. Like Cameron Diaz is popular right now. Put her in your movie. Uh, that's what say, she felt like to me. I would say that is possible if it wasn't a Scorsese film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I did really like um, – the guy who played Tammany, who was also in Moulin Rouge and Iris, he plays uh, Ziegler. In oh, Moulin it's um, uh, Jim Broadbent. Broadbent. Jim yeah, Broadbent. Jim Broadbent. Jim Broadbent is really good as Tammany. I think all the stuff going on around it in the city and like the politics of the time were very interesting to me and not necessarily Leonardo DiCaprio's revenge story because it was basic. I want revenge. Yeah. But I liked seeing more of how the 
how the corrupt government operated at the time. Yes. How they helped each other out with the gangs. Like that to me was all very good and very interesting and enjoyable. Even the riot at the end, which is based on a true event. You know, we yeah, talked we talked about on the season the, the difference uh, between true story and true events, but the yeah. It's based off the draft riots. That's right. You could, yeah, which was a real thing. It was the thing. first draft in America, but you could buy your way out. You have 300 bucks in 1862. Like, the guy's like, who has 300 bucks? And I'm like, not me. I don't have 300 bucks in 2021. Never mind. Right. Like, but it was – but the reason, like, that was the thing was so, like, the rich people of, of the time didn't have to send their kids off. Like, that – and that's what really instigated those riots were the fact that these poor people felt like the rich people were just sending them off to war – and they weren't doing anything. Mm-hmm. Like they were the ones perpetrating the war or or being in this war and they weren't sacrificing anything. That's right. That's right. Um but that being said, so I like all that stuff and so I will say I think I like this movie a little bit less now. It is still I it is still my favorite Scorsese movie. Interesting. I did not know that yes. about you. It is still my easily my favorite Scorsese movie. What is your least favorite Scorsese movie? Goodfellas. Oh, interesting. I mean, I should. I probably should have guessed since almost everybody's favorite is Goodfellas. I should have pinpointed about well, like your it, least favorite would be the not one even that. But loves. it goes. It goes to my thing of like, if you're giving me a movie that's just about villains, and they're kind of supposed to be the people I'm rooting for in the movie. I'm not really going to like it. That's right. They're not like, even just, really morally ambiguous in that movie. The way the way Bill Butcher is could be considered morally ambiguous right. um, with his weird code of honor. I agree. I, Shutter Island is my personal favorite. I think that is. Uh, I do really enjoy Shutter Island, and I I don't like the fact that a lot of people decry it. Shutter Island is probably my second favorite. Like Departed is probably up there, but I do have issues with the Boston part of it. Um, although it does have Martin Sheen, so that's a plus. It does have Martin Sheen. It does. Yeah. It also has Mark Wahlberg talking like Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> Everyone's like, Mark Wahlberg's accent is so good. I'm like, yeah, it's just how he talks. It's not a mystery to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, that's just who he All is. Right. Yeah, give me some fun facts. To simulate Bill the Butcher's fake eye, Daniel Day-Lewis being the uh, – what what kind of actor is that? Method actor. Yeah, being the method actor he is, actually had his eye removed. You know, for us, I when you started this fun fact, I was like, "Oh, I would actually <laughs> like to know how this is done." And then yeah. you asked if he was a method actor. I was like, "I don't like where this is going." <laughs> <laughs> now, to simulate Bill Butcher's fake eye, Daniel Day Lewis had his own eyeball covered in a prosthetic glass. Daniel Day Lewis learned to tap the fake eye with the tip of a knife without blinking. That's crazy. Yeah, he's a crazy man. Daniel Day Lewis. Um, not in here. He really is. Not in these fun facts, but as akin to that fun fact, the tapping of the glass eye with the knife and the line whoopsie daisy, both ad libs. And I really like insane. I really like whoopsie daisy. Yeah, whoopsie daisy is great. Yeah. <laughs> once uh once after the day's filming was finished, Leonardo DiCaprio, Martin Scorsese, talked Daniel Day-Lewis into going out to eat with them. He refused to break character, and the waitress was afraid to go near him. That's great. That's great. When the film was first conceived in 1978... All right. Tell me which version of this movie you like. The one that you saw, 
or this one that never happened. Oh, goodness, no. <laughs> when the film was first conceived in 1978, Martin Scorsese planned to cast as Amistad Valen, Dan Aykroyd, Whoa. and as Whoa. Bill wait, the wait, Butcher. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, no, no, no. I have a, a serious question. Was yeah. his – because his name's Amsterdam in the one we watched. It, was yeah. it originally Amistad? Yes. Oh no! Oh. I'm sorry, Amsterdam. Oh, okay. All right. I yeah. was just like that. That took a turn in a way that I was not comfortable with. Okay, so Dan Aykroyd, please, can, yeah. please go forward. And starring as Bill the Butcher, cutting John Belushi. Oh my God! <laughs> I would pay money to see that now, but I, I can tell you now, I prefer the one that I watched. The project only fell apart. Because Belushi died. Oh my god! Oh my god! That—that's insane. Now here's a third option: a cast reshuffle had as Amsterdam Valen Mel Gibson, and as the butcher Willem Dafoe. Nope, that's the one I want to see. I yeah. want to see. I want to see that movie. Yep, yep. Say what you will about Mel Gibson. Um, that man is a good actor, and he does a fine oh, yeah. he does a fine accent for a lot of different places. And Willem Dafoe as Bill the Butcher is something I didn't even know I wanted, but I want that. <laughs> oh man, that'd still be a weird movie, but I might like it better if it was a seventies movie. Yeah, it has that gritty seventies vibe. Um, wow, that's nuts! What a weird world that would have been to live in. Um, see, and you made up, and you made up for only having two fun facts for the pianist because <laughs> the Blues Brothers, as starring in Gangs of New York, I, the novelty would have been hilarious, and I wonder what it would have done for their careers to see them be serious in a Scorsese film. But I think God. Dan Aykroyd could definitely do it. I don't know about John Belushi. I know. Well, I guess we'll never know. But wow, wow. All right, let's talk about The Hours. Directed okay. by Stephen Daltrey, uh, based on the novel by Michael Cunningham, and the screenplay by David Hare, starring Meryl Streep, Nicole Kidman, Julianne Moore, uh, and a lot of other people. Nominated for Best Picture, supporting actor for Ed Harris, who's in this movie. Supporting actress for Julianne Moore, director, adapted screenplay, costume design, film editing, original score. This movie won Best Actress for Nicole Kidman. Mm -hmm. The story uh, is of how the novel Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf affects three generations of women, one of them being Virginia Woolf, all of whom in one way or another have had to deal with suicide in their lives. Uh, I had never seen this movie. Didn't see that third one coming. Yeah. No. No, I didn't. No. (laughs) Um, actually, I would say if you do want to watch this movie, which I do recommend, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I don't want to spoil it here because uh, it's got a twist got a twist ending um and so uh um which i i didn't see so i um i recommend i recommend watching this movie if you like period character pieces um and you and if you like interconnected stories um i i described it to i i i described it to my wife as the depressing love actually um uh, so take the love of love actually in the interconnectedness and make it suicide with Virginia Woolf and, uh, and you got yourself a movie. All right, let's do it. Um, I enjoyed it. I think it's really smart. I think the editing 
is really, really strong because you follow like to follow the to um to follow the passage of the of these three women and the people in their and the people in their lives. And then, like, kind of, but all, but have it all be one story, like seamlessly moving through itself. It was really, I think, really probably really challenging to to film and especially to edit. And so, I thought I was never confused after, like, you know, the first five minutes where you're like, okay, it's three different time periods. Okay, let's get a move on. Um, and I think the, you know, it all confronts suicide in a different way comes at it all in a different ways but it's also um about family and uh, the like the the obligations and relations that you have with them and i think it was really good i don't know if nicole kidman delivers the oscar-winning performance that she was given um in here but i think everybody's really strong i think julianne moore's actually the strongest in the film her detached um her detached mother like really works for me there's a lot of ambiguity in her um in her choices and she she does a lot with her eyes um without saying anything which i liked and i thought ed harris was also very strong um as was um Oh shoot! Who is um, Meryl Streep's f- friend? Ed Harris's, um, um, my God, he comes in. He teaches theater. We saw him live in To Kill a Mockingbird. Newsroom. Oh, Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels. Thank you. Um, I Jeff, Jeff. I thought Jeff Daniels was great for the for the few minutes that he was in the film. Yeah. As was Allison Janney, who's great in everything. Yep. I love Allison her. Janney was really good. Um, so you, the last episode. Uh, predicted I was going to hate this movie. Yes, I, I really did think that you would. Did you hate it? Yeah. No, not at all. I I liked it. I would say I don't really... There's a couple things that I don't necessarily dislike but have umbrage with. Um, I don't think you need... I don't think you need Virginia Woolf in this, for one, even though she is the writer. Like, if this was just, say... Julianne Moore's character and then Meryl Streep's character because they're the most interconnected of the three stories. Because they're both – they have an attachment to Mrs. Dalloway that is not writing Mrs. Dalloway. Right. So if that was just the movie and you figured out like how to build an entire movie around that, I think that, it, I think that would have been a little bit better. That being said, I do like – I do like Nicole Kidman as Virginia Woolf. I'll agree with you. I don't think she should have won the award. She is, this is one of those Oscar makeup things because she did not win for Moulin Rouge the previous year and everyone was like, why not? So this was definitely a makeup or two, it was two years ago. Either way, this was the movie she did right after Moulin Rouge. I, when you said Oscar makeup thing, I thought you meant like, they're wearing makeup and being a human person, like give them an award. I thought you meant like that. Like they, they, they put no, her in a fake but nose. But I will say her, her makeup is amazing. It like, is. It's so subtle. Like I can, he- I can hear Nicole Kidman in her character. I cannot see Nicole Kidman in that character. Mm-hmm. If you just showed me that movie with no voice and no context prior to the movie, I would not be able to tell you that was Nicole Kidman. Yeah, and I that, could still tell you Mel Streep and Julianne Moore. 
Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but you know they look like themselves, you know. So, yeah. um, I I think this in some ways where why she won is because um because she is so detached from herself, and then her character is so detached from the world uh, that right. I, but I think that's more of a that's more of a compliment of the makeup department. I don't. I'm not. I don't think she made me forget she was Nicole Kidman because, like I said, with the voice on, I can easily tell it's her. Mm-hmm. Like, she didn't fall into that role. Like, she just looked the part. That's right. And, you know, everyone kind of, everyone kind of, like, makes this out like, well, she won because they gave her an ugly nose. I think it's more than that. Because, like, I look around her eyes, like, her cheeks and that, all are, all are molded into this character. That's right. Her eyebrows or lack thereof. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, I really... Whenever she was on screen, I looked for her and I couldn't find her. That's good. That's that's uh, that's really good. Did you check behind the couch? No. Okay. Well, that that is why you fail. <laughs> uh, but other than that, I think all three all three of the time periods are good. But I would argue the Virginia Woolf one is unnecessary unless you want to make a Virginia Woolf movie. In which case, you give me that cast. I'm on board because I like the Virginia Woolf parts. I just don't think it necessarily worked together in the movie. You don't think it blended the same way. So out of the three stories, which one was your favorite? Which one was my favorite? Out of the three, I would say the the contemporary. The one. Meryl Streep early 2000s yes. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For one, I think Ed Harris does a tremendous job um, as his character – Meryl Streep is good, but Meryl Streep's always good. That's right. Allison Janney's good. I just think – I think it's very – I don't think you can do the two contemporary ones apart. Like to me, it's just two stories. There's the contemporary stories because they are sort of intertwined with each other. And then you have – the Virginia Woolf story. Okay, so this is a slight spoiler, but I think to your point, I think that um, the twist surprise thing works because there are three stories and one of them is not really connected to the other two. And so if you remove the Virginia Woolf portion, it's maybe more obvious that they're connected in a bigger yeah, way but, than, Mrs. Dow- than just reading Mrs. Dalloway. But uh, to me, it doesn't... Like it doesn't – to me that twist doesn't make the movie better. I thought it, – it, to me it, it it made it better because I, I understand – like then you reflect on all the pieces that were put in place. Not like a Shyamalan twist where you're like, oh, it's the modern day Philadelphia or what – you know what I mean? Like whatever. You know, that's not right. – um, it's not like that. But uh, I just thought it was like kind of concretely written like there wasn't – I found that there wasn't a wasted second, um, that every scene, every movement had a purpose. And, right. uh, and I, and I liked that. And I think like, I will say because of the twist, I think the way that I do. Okay. All right. Well, you know, okay. Well, yeah, let's teach his own, each his own on the, yeah. on the reading. And again, that doesn't mean it's a bad movie or it was even a lesser movie. I just think that I would have been fine if I would have got two different movies, mm-hmm. like one movie of that and then one movie of Nicole Kidman and Virginia Woolf would have been fine with that too. Yeah, I do really like this movie. People should watch it. It is very well acted. The the set pieces and the look, especially of Virginia Woolf's era, 
I think are really good. Um, I don't, I don't think there's like, I, I know where you're like the interconnectedness of her writing Mrs. Dalloway and how, what she's going through and all these other people and what they're going through. There is that to like people that really want to sit there and dissect the movie, but I'm not one of those. Yep. So, but it's still a very enjoyable and a pretty breezy feeling movie. Like I never really felt like it was going on too long. I agree. It was breezy, but I mean, we also had two, three hour, almost three, three hour movies in here. So I, um, yeah. anything that was just two hours, I was like, wow, it's flying by. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, give, right. me, give me some fun facts. Nicole Kidman loved wearing the prosthetic nose and wore it in private too. Mainly as she was undergoing a divorce from Tom Cruise at the time and was attracting a lot of paparazzi interest. Much to her delight, by wearing her fake nose out and about, she found she could easily evade the paparazzi as they didn't recognize her. Fantastic. Take lessons, paparazzi. This movie was disqualified by the Academy for Best Makeup Oscar because digital touch-ups were done on close-ups of Nicole Kidman to make the nose seem seamless. Huh. I think... Well, ooh, see that I that's tricky because it's not the makeup alone then that's winning the award. So, I don't know. That is that's a that's a dilemma. Right, but couldn't you have digital makeup? You could, but then would it fall under the that would fall under special effects because it's digital. Well, I don't know. I think I think makeup has to be completely analog to to be awarded. I don't know. That falls into the same, that falls into the same category as should Andy Serkis have been nominated for Gollum because he's a, because he's a digital character. I think that's the, I think that it, it, I think that it really does fall into that same category. Come Oscar nomination time, this movie caused problems for makers, Paramount Pictures and Miramax Films, as they weren't sure whether to put Nicole Kidman forward as best actress in a supporting role where she would have been in direct competition with her two co-stars, probably canceling, canceling each other out, or as best actress, even though Meryl Streep is in the movie for 42 minutes, Julianne Moore, 33, and Nicole Kidman, 28. Interesting. And it's fine. I wouldn't call... I'd have a hard time saying that any of them are support. They're either all supporting actresses or all leading ladies. Like, I, I don't think that one is above the other in any particular way in the film. Mm. Yeah. Arguably, yeah. I think that Julianne Moore has the most evolution as a character. And so I, I would, like, tend to throw leading lady towards her more mm-hmm. than anybody else. Okay. Yeah, 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 sure. But you know, yeah, we yeah, sure. we just we the rules don't matter here. So it's our yeah. own rules. It's the yeah. rewindy rules here. Yeah. Let's talk about Chicago. Allison Janney is getting best actress this year. Great, fantastic. Directed by Rob Marshall, not Allison Janney. Chicago is directed by Rob Marshall. Written by Bill Condon, based on the musical by Bob Fosse and Fred Ebb, which is based on the original play by Maureen Dallas Watkins. It's or is it? It it is. It's a lot happening here. Uh starring Renee Zellweger, Catherine Zeta Jones, and Richard Gere. Uh this movie was nominated for Best Actress for Zellweger, Supporting Actor for John C. Riley, Supporting Actress for Queen Latifah, Director, Adapted Screenplay, Cinematography, and Original Song. 
This movie won Best Picture, Best Supporting Actress for Zeta Jones, Production Design, Costume Design, Editing, and Sound. Uh, this is a musical based in the 1920s about two death row murderesses who develop a fierce rivalry while competing for publicity, celebrity, and the sleazy lawyer's attention. Um, I saw Chicago when it came out in 2002. In the 70s? In the oh. 70s. I saw when it came out in 2002. I loved it then. I've seen it many times since then. It has many uh, happy returns for me. I don't think it, re- it has really not diminished in quality. I saw it live on Broadway starring Rita Wilson which was really fun. It was her Broadway debut, Tom Hanks's wife, if you don't know who Rita Wilson is. And she was really good. Uh, and so I like the show. I think the music is the thing that makes the show really great. The plot itself is fine. It's good. I don't think that it's... Yeah, yeah. It, it's, yeah it's like... Um, it does its duty, I would think. Um, but I, it, it's, a, it's a bit of a commentary on the power of the media and the need for fame and all that stuff. What goes up and down me now is that like I watch kind of the outcome of this movie and I'm like, you're both terrible people and you both got away with you both kind of murder. got away with murder and what you no, wanted. No, they didn't, and, kind of. They did. Yeah. Well, I mean, they did go to jail, but they did also get away with it because they were not um, they were not um, convicted. And then and then they kind of get what they they want out of it at the end and you're supposed to be like oh isn't that wonderful that they like these two people who committed murder are just so happy now and have all the things that they love but i because it's commenting on everything and the sleazy nature of chicago in the 20s and and all that stuff i think them getting off at the end is still commentary but it it's weirdly subverts it by like by giving you a happy song at the end because the whole show plays to that jazz bar 20s right. uh jazz club 20s vibe so mm-hmm. um so so now like sitting here in 2021 and thinking about the world and thinking about all these different things that have happened since the first time that I saw the film and in 2002 I'm like ew like really ew but yeah. I still like it. Um, and uh, and that's that's my story. All right. Uh, when I first saw it, because I also saw it back when it came out, I enjoyed it. I think I think the music's. I think the music is good. Um, my favorite song is "Cell Block Tango." Like, absolutely adore that song. Mm-hmm. Um, it is one of my favorite Broadway songs. That isn't done by um andrew lloyd webber okay so that's in like that's in a cast of like les mis rent and then and then this and then somewhere in like in all those songs this is up there uh the one thing i didn't like when i first saw it but i've since seen the stage version i sorry i saw a uh a national touring company with um, the guy from Seinfeld. Oh yeah, um, uh, Elaine. Yeah, that yeah. guy. Um, what's yeah, his Mr. name? Mr. Peterman. Mr. Peterman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's he's played that role for forever. Like he did a national touring of it. He did it 
in Chicago, and I think he did it on Broadway for a period of time too. Mm-hmm. John O'Hurley, that's yeah. that's his name. Yeah, I met um, him at a con a couple years ago. Yeah, me and you did. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah super nice yeah, guy. He he really is, and I even talked to him because I, I had just seen him recently, mm-hmm. and he was like, "Oh yeah," <clears throat> I told him like how good he was, and he was like, "That's my role," and he um so. The one thing I didn't like in the movie was the way they framed the songs. Like they always went back to the nightclub. All the songs were kind of done on a stage. Yeah, they're supposed to be in Ex- Roxy's head, except right. for the, except for the end and all that jazz. So the it's like bookended by real performances. All that jazz. Um, well, all that jazz. Um, razzle dazzle, and the end. Are all, oh, yeah, are all not introduced by the piano player. So those are the ones that aren't in her head. Um, I would say that Razzle Dazzle is definitely in her head. It's a whole circus affair. And so I'm, because it cuts back and forth between give them the old Razzle Dazzle, and it cuts between that and the footage of the real, um, right, but the it real doesn't trial. go back to the. It doesn't go back to the nightclub. I don't think so. No, but that, but um, but all that jazz is introduced by Tay Diggs, who is the piano player, and so, but that's a real number, so that's actually a fallacy. You can't right. use that as your um, you can't use that as your device, which I think would have like, been strong. It would have really worked. But Tay Diggs is the is the pianist. Um, too late. Already it, did. Yeah. No. Too. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. But. Uh, um, but that would have been cool if they did it that way. But she sees him in the club announcing right. Velma's number, and then she uses him to announce uh, well, the, a, anyway. a bunch of other songs. Anyway, yeah, anyway, I important. didn't like that. I didn't like that device. But after seeing the show, and the show, like whenever, like the show always has people on stage, like it's always in the nightclub, mm-hmm. and it's got the band in the middle. So I'm like, all right, I kind of understand that now. Yeah, the show's I not still... structured like uh like a play that has music in it. It's right. it's um it's it the uh, so the um and it's always like that. So right. I understood so, the framing device. Right. So I understand the framing device now. I still don't like it. Just because it takes me out of the movie a bit. Sure. Um so so that's like my biggest complaint with the movie, other than the fact that you're right. These two people literally get away with murder. I think Richard Gere is really good. He took tap dancing lessons for months to be able to do uh, his his thing. So I thought that was good. <sighs> Renee Zellweger and, and Catherine Zeta-Jones... Are, are fine. I like Renee Zellweger in this. I think Catherine Zeta-Jones gives off a good presence, but I definitely wouldn't say this role... I, I wouldn't say she's great in this role because I could imagine so many other people in this role. I mean, that's I would say... I, I get what you're saying that, like, oh, you could... Other like actresses she has, could play that she part. She has but I, the look down. I think she's got it all down. I think she's a real performer, and that comes across in. I think that comes across in the whole movie. So many times you get people. Richard Gere is actually a great example of this, where you cast Richard Gere and then make him go backwards and like, okay, could you learn to tap dance, please? You know, and as opposed to casting somebody who does have training 
and they can also and they and they play the part. And I think that, um, and I appreciated that about um, Catherine Jada Jones' casting. I think Zellweger's okay. I don't think that she's great. She does not. I walk away from Chicago and I still don't like Roxy. Like I don't like her that like. I don't think you're supposed to. Oh well, in that case, she does a great job. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's the thing is like. Like none of this is designed to make you really like these women. No, you you feel for John C. Riley more than anything else. You Amos yeah. is the star of the show, and if you're not crying by the end of Mr. Cellophane, you have no heart. Out of all three of the movies, this is the best one John C. Riley did. Oh, definitely. He was good. He was fine in Gangs of New York. Like he doesn't have a lot of time, but he's fine in Gangs of New York. He is like a caricature in. The hours. Yep. Like he's turned up to 12. A bit. Yeah, sure. I, I like, get what you're saying. Sure. You know, like just the way he is. Like it's, you know what it is? Because like it fits, he's kind of turned up to 12 in uh, Chicago, mm-hmm. but it fits the overall like, like everybody's up uh, to 12. Braggadociousness of it. Yeah, they, they're the, the energy of Chicago, the movie, is that they are in a musical. Like even though right. they are not playing, they are not right. playing those parts. Like they on are a stage, they're the on stage. That's right. They yeah. are on stage. Um, and, and it, like I, I joked in my mind, like John C. Riley must have went from like day filming Chicago to night filming the hours, and just didn't turn it off. It's possible. I mean, it is very possible. Um, I thought that his his performance in Chicago is subdued in conjunction, like when you put it next to everybody else in Chicago. Uh, you know, Queen Latifah, even Queen Latifah is actually on the subdued side of. Um, I think it's just because the caricatures are so over the top, mm-hmm. and they're not in as much of the movie. I nope. think if they're in more of the movie, you might see them. You might see him in that same light because there are times that Amos is like – is a little like that. So – but I think John C. Riley's is great in this. You're right. Catherine uh, – Renee Zellweger is probably the easiest – like like she's definitely not as good as everyone else in the movie. And that's not a knock on her acting. I think she's a good actress and she's been in some really good – she's done some really good roles. Like Judy, she was great in. Mm-hmm. But in this movie, I think she's she's a little bit overpowered, and I don't know if that's because she's not she's not comfortable with like the song and dance stuff or what. She just she plays the role well. She plays it ditzy, and I couldn't really imagine somebody else bringing her style to the film. I think in some ways, like you're not supposed to like her. That maybe she is supposed to be overpowered because like she's not mm-hmm. that good, and that's kind of the point. Like, you know, she wants to be this star in this, this, but everyone tells her, like, you don't, you don't have it. Like, it's it's like, you know, it's not who you are. And so there's a bit of like, don't give up on your dreams, even if it involves murder kind of thing going on. Um, But, uh, um, but that's, I I don't know if that's Renee Zellweger or if that's who the character is supposed to be. When I saw Rita Wilson play it, that's not how she played it. She was like incredibly charming. And like you just like wanted to be on Roxy's side in the worst way, so I think it's the direction of the movie. Yeah, I think I think it's definitely like that because it would seem to me like 
while the like the show seems to be definitely tailored to like you want to get on Roxy's side, but as a as a person who has an IQ and is like, no, murderers should not get sympathy. I'm like, no, no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All uh, right. Um, I would say we haven't talked about this at all, but I think the you didn't like how everything is like played in the head. It, um, mm-hmm. ex- but uh, I liked the freedom that that provided the movie for the production design, cinematography, like stuff like the way that Cell Block Tangle was presented in like true Bob Fosse format. Um, you know, with a minimal minimal staging, and it's all and it's really focused on the drama of the lights and the dance and the choreography, uh, and the energy that they bring. I don't think you'd be able to get that in another way of filming so i really enjoyed um how the um they leaned into fossey through the cinematography i think you could definitely do that still with cell block tango but your other you're right the other songs probably not Mm -hmm. um yeah you can't do um they both reach for the gun with christine baranski on like wires like floating up in in unless it's a an imaginary it's an imaginary I mean, piece could. i mean it's christine bransky she can do what she wants yeah um yeah, yeah. all right so uh, give me some uh, give me some fun facts okay michael jackson was considered at one point for the role of billy flynn as he was director rob marshall's original choice for the role but executive producer i'm not going to say his name but it's part of the brothers from miramax that are Harvey. yep yep got it Objected to the idea of Jackson playing the role as he felt more attention would be paid to him rather than that of Catherine Zeta-Jones and Renee Zellweger. I mean, I would argue, I would argue the same thing happened with Richard Gere. Yeah, I would say that is probably still correct, though. I think I actually would really like to have seen Michael Jackson play that part. That would have been weird. It would have been super like, weird. That's why I, I want to see like, it. It's the same reason I yeah. want to see Nick Cage play Superman. <laughs> it's so weird, but I want to see it. During the cell block tango, each girl recreates the crime and uses a red silk bandana to indicate where the blood would have been. However, when Honka is speaking, she pulls out a white bandana instead of a red one, showing that she is truly innocent. That's right. The only person to die in this entire movie. That's right. Is on the, death row is the innocent, is the innocent one, one. Right. That's yep. why it's satire. Um, was that a fun fact or just something that I was supposed to get from the movie? Uh, you should have gotten it from the movie, but I'm I'm saying that in case it wasn't clear. Okay, cool. Um, I neglected because there was another fun fact that would have translated what she said. But uh, oh, interesting. The play Chicago was Maureen Dallas Watkins' retelling of two very public murder trials that occurred in Chicago in 1924. Those of Bellu Sheriff Anon and Belva Gartner. Watkins covered these trials for the Chicago Tribune and wrote the character of Mary Sunshine as a self-portrait. For Belva Gartner, better known as Velma Kelly, she had a much less glitzy fate. She was acquitted and went on to have a few run-ins with the law, but ended up living a semi-normal life before dying of natural causes in California in 1965 at the age of 80. Although in the case of Belua Sheriff Annan, AKA Roxy Hart, it was more of a girlsy, it was more of a grisly end. It's true she was acquitted of murdering her lover thanks to the skills of her highly paid attorney, who was bankrolled by her stunningly loyal husband. 
She repaid that debt by publicly divorcing him after her release. She married two more times before her death of tuberculosis years four years later. Whoa. Yeah. That's so – that was one of my favorite fun facts you've ever done on this show. There is actually a – so you said like Chicago was – the musical was based off of – that you say a what, play? Yeah, I think that's what – that's my information. Yeah. Okay. There's actually a movie version of the play, of oh, the play yeah. version, like Sands singing that came out like in the 40s or 50s I think. Because it was, I've seen it once. I've seen most of it once. It was randomly on TV one day. It was pretty good, but it's in black and white. And so, like, if musicals aren't your thing, but like, you're still like, huh, this kind of sounds like a good story, check it out. It is called, I think it's just called Chicago. No, it's called Roxy Hart, if I remember correctly. Okay. Um, but it, from what I remember, that was pretty good. I actually want to go back and finish watching. Oh, that's so. And I'm. I can't believe one that that's like they're kind. It's kind of true, but yeah, that, I like, always knew that part. Wow, that's so cool. Made me enjoy this movie a little bit more. To a movie I already enjoyed. Okay, well, time for our fun section before we do the rewindies, and that is the what else came out in two thousand two. Um, uh, and they are as follows. There was a lot that came out, by the way. Are you ready for this list? Mm-hmm. Spider-Man. Scooby-Doo. 28 Days Later. Catch Me If You Can. Reign of Fire. City of God. Changing Lanes. Minority Report. Hero. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Road to Perdition, which was the winner of Best Cinematography. Um, Equilibrium. Star Wars. Attack of the Clones. Blade 2. Austin Powers Gold Member. K-19. Solaris. Panic Room, The Count of Monte Cristo, John Q, We Were Soldiers, Wind Talkers, The Time Machine, Red Dragon, The Quiet American, A Walk to Remember, Signs, The Ring, and My Big Fat Greek Wedding. I really love... 2002? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was a yeah. lot of... There's a really good... I mean, some of the movies that I mentioned are no good in complete trash. But, uh, right. Yeah, but there's a, a really good lineup of films in here. Movies that would never be no- – Equilibrium would never be nominated for an Academy Award. Not yeah. in a gazillion years, but – Well, it was also a major TV movie. Equilibrium with with Tay Diggs and, and, and Sean Bean and Christian Bale? I'm almost positive it was a TNT movie. I don't think it was, but it could be. Yeah. Um. um if I If I were to – if I were to remove any movie from these, it would be Lord of the Rings, and I would probably replace it with Minority Report or Road to Perdition. Um, I would you like? I are you removing Lord of the Rings just because out of your personal taste, or because you truly believe that it does not deserve to be in these five movies? Uh a little bit of both, and that's only because. Like, you nominated all three movies. You nominated the first one, the second one, and the third one. That's right. They were all filmed at the same time. Yeah. I mean, they it, filmed them It was essentially filmed as yeah. one movie. That's right. And they chopped it up three, you know, two, two times. So that, to me, like, I don't know if I could... I don't know if I would be fine with nominating it all three times. Nominate one, give it the awards, uh, fine. I don't... I don't know if I 
think it deserves all the awards it won, but fine. Like it, it was a massive undertaking. I'm not discrediting that. I just think you're essentially giving plaudits for the same movie over and over again. You are a bit, which is why I had said that I, um, I was going to restrain myself as much as possible to just always giving it awards. So I'm going to follow the Academy's example and ho- hold most of them back for Return to the King, which I which I did, um, unless like it didn't really fit the, you know, something like visual right. effects or something like that. It doesn't it might not fit every single one of these movies. Um, so if I had to remove any of them, which I, I, I would remove gangs of New York because while I think it's a movie and a lot of it is good, I don't think any of it is really good enough to be nominated for best picture. That's fine. Uh, I really like gangs of New York, so, but I'm, I'm willing to, I'm willing to, uh, give that. Yeah, but truly, most of the movies that I mentioned are also not truly worthy of being nominated for Best Picture, except for Road to Perdition, which I think yeah, really I would, should I be in the top five. Yeah, I would definitely say Road to Perdition or Minority Report. Minority Report, to me, is a better – like, you could make the argument that Blade Runner – like, when Blade Runner came out and everyone was like, oh, my God, Blade Runner, the new one, not the old one. Cause oh, okay. Said that about the old one. <laughs> the new one came out. <laughs> they didn't. I'm sorry. It was a cult thing after the fact. But like everyone was like, oh, my God, Blade Runner looks great and should be nominated for all these awards. To me, like Minority Report is a sci-fi movie that has depth, story, and gravitas that most sci-fis don't. That people see kind of in Blade Runner, but they're wrong. Because that movie was trash. Um, I will not follow you to the line that that movie was trash. I very, I very much enjoyed it. Um, but I do like Minority Report. I just watched it sometime last year, sometime in 2020. It didn't. Um, I don't. It wasn't as good as my memory of it, which is unfortunate. I kind of put it in like middle Spielberg. Um, it, like, um, you know, like Spielberg's like, I'm doing good, but it's not my best. Like, that's, yeah. you know, maybe like I, Temple of Doom yeah. Spielberg or no, maybe oh, that's no, actually, no, no, no bottom of, God, of the trash no. Spielberg. No, 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 no. So racist Spielberg, not a great one. <laughs> um, so I take back what I said. Anyway, um, yeah, Road to Perdition, it, it truly, if it was in the top five, that probably would have taken that probably would have taken the the awards for me that movie is yeah i know great. you really like that movie that's so good I'm, i i don't love that movie but i'm willing to say like if it got nominated for best picture yeah okay yeah it's definitely I, better than gangs of like, new york okay. and so and i think gangs of new york is like oh well it's martin scorsese so we better give him, we better nominate him because it's martin scorsese <laughs> we better nominate him because we're not giving him the award yeah well that's pretty much how i feel about it but anyway uh Let's do where the people can find us at Academy Rewind at gmail.com, which we don't check, so don't so don't email us. Uh, Twitter at Academy Rewind to contact Palmer at TimothyPG13 to contact me, Timothy. Um, and you can rate and review us on iTunes and find us all other places podcasts can be found. And please check out all other Thought Bubble Audio shows uh, at thoughtbubbleaudio.com. Uh, and you can um, you can support all Thought Bubble audio programs, including but not limited to Academy Rewind at patreon.com slash audio. Uh, and that's all the, the whole kit and caboodle. Palmer, are you ready for the 2003 Rewindies? Yes, I am. Oh, goodness, yes. 
All right, so as stated previously on almost every other episode for a long time, uh, we can only award movies awards that have been nominated in these five um the five out of the five movies that we watched uh for best picture um so um so our sometimes our options are limited and um let's definitely this year this year kind of limited um yeah yeah um i don't agree with all of them and we can kind of make up our own rules but here we go uh, best supporting actor, I'm going to give to Andy Serkis for Gollum in Lord of the Rings because he was robbed and should have been nominated for that part. If you do not accept that because he's a digital character, I present to you John C. Riley for Chicago instead. Uh, I'm going with John C. Riley. I might have given it to Andy Serkis uh, for um... lead actor. No, for why? I don't know. I just I thought you were talking about this one. I don't know for re- for Return of the King. I don't remember. But if I were, if I were to pick Andy Serkis, I would give it to Return of the King. I think he's in it a little bit more, and you get his, you get his total arc, and he does like he does two things. He does Gollum and Smeagol in that movie, so so he does have a little bit more range. I think John C. Riley should have won it for Chicago. I think he was robbed. John C. Riley all day. Yeah, truthfully, John C. Riley was my first choice. Like he was the one that I had listed here until yeah. we were talking about Lord of the Rings and that Andy Serkis like could have won an, like the you know like the digital award thing. And I was like, oh shoot, you know what? This is a fake yeah. award ceremony anyway. I'm going to give it to Andy Serkis. What? No, it's real. I mail out these awards to oh. the winner. Oh, good. Oh, I didn't know you were doing that. We should he really supports on patreon.com because Paul is covering postage all on his own. Um, it's really just hand-drawn post-its. Oh, that's nice of you. Um, so, um, so anyway, so, uh, John C. Riley slash Andy yep. Circus for supporting actor, supporting actress. I'm going to give to Catherine Zeta Jones for Chicago. Um, I think she was quite good and, um, and she deserves the award that she won. Uh, I'm giving it to Julianne Moore for the hours. Oh, very good, very close for that one. I was, you know, she was she was excellent. Um, production design, I'm going to give to. Um, see, this is a blanket. I would have given it to Lord of the Rings, but I already did it for Return of the King, so I feel I feel jammed and crammed. Um, so I'm giving it to Chicago. I'm going to give it to Gangs of New York. Cool, that's a good set. Uh, costume design, I am also going to give to Chicago. Chicago. Chicago, good costumes. Makeup and hairstyling, I'm going to give to Chicago because it's it's very of they, they did a great job of being of the era. Though I I'm torn between that hours makeup because you're right, it is really good. But yeah, if it's CG enhanced, I don't know about it. I'm giving it to the hours. Yeah. Well, good. No, it's great. I, I support that decision. Um, music. This was tough because um, this this was really tough because like I would want, I want to say Chicago, but it's not original music to that movie. I like no. you know it, it's it's like of the musical, so it's like yeah, but it, we've be- never we've never determined that it had to be original. Music. You're right. All right, show Chicago then. Yeah, I'll give. Yeah, it to I'm Chicago. giving it to the pianist. Yeah, which is also technically not original to that movie, a good chunk of it, but um, good yeah. choice. Um, very good choice. Uh, visual effects I'm going to give to the the two towers because, honestly, yeah. there really wasn't another option this year um, for the most part. And they yeah. are tremendous. Like CG, CG um, 
like live action CG mocap characters are because of Two Towers. Yep. So um, credit where credit is due, and it still looks great. I his, he, the what, the part where he's crawling crawling down, crawling down the rock at the beginning of the movie, but and then they like Sam is holding him and he's got his arm. I'm like that arm is just real. It's crazy, <laughs> like how much he holds up into the, for twenty years. Yeah, uh, for twenty years on, there are times where he definitely doesn't, yeah. and there are things that definitely don't. But it, it's amazing how much of it it still holds. Mm-hmm. Um, cinematography, I'm going to give to Chicago. Uh, I think, which is again very clever. I think dancing, the energy that comes out of Chicago is is a lot of that is cinematography and it's very difficult to capture that because I've seen some really dull and flat musicals yeah. on film. And so yeah, I'll say Chicago Cool. uh, editing. I'm going to give to the hours for the reasons that I stated when I watched the hours that it holds all three of those arcs together really well. And that's a big chunk of the editing. Uh, Chicago, Chicago. Okay. Also strong, also strong, uh, sound. I'm going to give to, um, I'm going to give to Lord of the Rings the Two Towers because it's mixing and editing, so they're creating a lot of unique sounds, um, and so uh, that are um, that are that you don't get in a lot of other films. So Two Towers. I'm going to go Chicago. Chicago, good music. I've heard. I like La La Land. We've talked about this uh, a lot on the show already. I like La La Land, but the sound mixing in that movie is atrocious. It's mm-hmm. so bad, and so yeah. like, and Chicago has. Great, great sound mixing, uh, and I, it's um, it's travesty when musicals don't have good sound mixing. Um, best actor, I'm going to give to Adrian Brody for the pianist because he was really, truly the only contender. Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, yeah, he was good. He just wasn't. It wasn't as. I don't think he was as good. Um, oh, you're wrong. Yeah, although tapping his eye and whoopsie yep. daisy, but I don't know. Like, <laughs> like so close. Um, Best actress, I'm going to give to Julianne Moore for the hours because we we make up our own rules here, um, and I'll say that she was the lead because I wanted because I didn't really I, she was more of a lead than Catherine Zeta Jones was in Chicago, and I wanted both of them to have the awards. So Nicole that, Kidman, Nicole Kidman, good. There you go. Um, best writing, I'm going to give to the hours. I know. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go with the. I'm gonna go with the pianist. Yeah, you know, the, I I think that's a it's a it's great a tough, it's, it's a tough that one. one was tough. I I was close with the I was close with the pianist, yeah. um, and so um, but I uh, but I do um, but I do respect that decision. Uh, best picture, I'm going to give to Chicago, though I think that I could pretty much give it to any of the. I truly feel like I could give it to any of them and be satisfied, except for Gangs of New York. I'm gonna give it to the hours. I will say that out of all the movies, I like Gangs of New York the most. But you know it's not deserving I, of the best but picture. But I think The Hours is a better overall film. Mm-hmm. That being said, I would be fine with giving it to The Hours, Gangs of New York, or The Pianist. I would give it to Chicago over The Two Towers, but um, it would be a distant yeah, if I had my choice and I hadn't already like made the self-imposed rule for myself that I wasn't going to give all the awards to Lord of the Rings, it would go but there. A, but it's a good rule; otherwise, I would have hit you. I know. Times. Well, yeah, I know. But you know, I don't know how you would do that because we're so far away, um, six feet at least. Um, so up next, I I have a pole. 
Um, up next on Academy Ruai 1993, we have the movies as follows. Unforgiven, Scent of a Woman, Howard's End, The Crying Game, and A Few Good Men. Cool. So all the awards are going to The Crying Game, and I will hear yeah. no more about it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's it. I nailed it. Maybe Scent of a Woman. I'm not sure. So that weird movie. Is that the one where Al Pacino's blind? It goes, hoo-ah. Yeah, that's the one. It says, hoo-ah. Hoo-ah. Anyway, uh, that's it for Academy Run, which is great because they're playing us off. No, I have some more people to thank. Oh, too bad. Bye. Bye. Bye.